What's up, everybody, and happy new year 2023. Can you believe it's here? Thanks for joining me today. This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we're currently working our way through track sessions that we had at our event that we hosted in Nashville last year, the National Disciple Making Forum. It was a fantastic time, and in fact, if you missed it, or maybe you just didn't get enough of it, we've got another one coming up in April this year, 26th and 27th, up in Indianapolis, another forum. So go to discipleship.org to buy your tickets now. This is the lowest price you're going to get. For today's episode, we've got Melanie Wise and Marshall Gallagher of Mercy Multiplied. They talk to us about how to disciple people that are hurting and struggling and how important it is that you know who you're called to disciple and who you're called not to disciple at this moment. This kind of plays into maybe if you're somebody who struggles with overreaching with people you're discipling, or maybe even a little bit of codependency as a disciple maker, which none of us really struggle with that, right? Okay, let's listen in and hear what Melanie and Marshall had to say. Enjoy the episode. We're going to go ahead and get started, and if we have some more people coming in, I am laughing a lot inside because I'm going to be honest with you, coming into this week, I was like, no one has ever heard of us. I don't know if anyone's going to show up to our breakout session, (laughs) and clearly that is not what happened. So I'm so excited for you guys coming, especially knowing that I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that no one in here knows Mercy Multiplied. Does anyone know Mercy Multiplied? That's awesome. Well, let's start there um, to give you a little bit of context of who we are. Uh, my name is Melanie Wise, and I'm the Senior Director of Outreach at Mercy Multiplied. A fun fact is that Mercy Multiplied is literally located right next door to Cross Church. So you can see our building right across this parking lot over here. Um, and this is Marshall Gallagher, who is our Church Strategy Advisor. I will let you introduce yourself more in a moment. But I want to give you guys just a little bit of background on who we are so that you have a clue as to who you're listening to and what we do. So um, Mercy Multiplied was founded in 1983. I was one year old um, at the time. And um, Nancy Alcorn is our founder and president, and she started Mercy um, really out of a place of, of, she had worked in a juvenile detention center in Louisiana for many years, and she just saw this problem of, of, of girls coming in and out of that detention center time after time after time. Um, they would get out for a little while, she'd see them soon after, or they would be killed, or something would happen. She was like, this is not working. <laughs> like, this whole system is not working. And one of my favorite parts of her story is when she said she realized that God did not anoint the government to set the captives free. Mm-hmm. He anointed his church. And so she realized this is this system is not is not working. I'm interested in starting something that's going to actually work. And so she started Mercy Ministries at the time. Has anybody heard of Mercy Ministries? Still no. Okay, okay. Um, so Mercy Ministries was founded in 1983. It was a residential program for many many years. It was a residential program for young women between the ages of 13 and now 32. We still have a residential program. We always want people to know that it exists. It's free of charge. Um, We're completely donor funded. And so the young women who come into our program, we have a home here in Nashville. We have one in California as well. And um, the women who come in struggle with any number of life controlling issues. And they're with us typically six to eight months-ish. And it's it's an amazing program. 
But in the last couple of years, we have now started opening outpatient programs as well. We have one in St. Louis. We have one in Monroe, Louisiana, and I am believing that Nashville is going to be the next spot. Do we have any locals, Middle Tennesseans in the room? Anybody? Okay. Uh, so I'm so excited for that. In our outpatient programs, we are now serving men and women. So we've never actually been able to serve men directly in our programs, and so we are pumped about it. Like, we're going to have our first male testimony at one of our events next week, and we're so excited. But we're now serving men and women um, ages 13 and up to 99. So... Um, we're just really excited to expand that. Now, what we're doing and why we're here is because we have also launched what we call our outreach services. And I know for people who work in ministry and work in churches, you have a picture of what outreach is, and it's not what you think. Our outreach is actually to churches. And we are saying, hey, look, we know you guys have hurting and struggling people in your church, in your pews, every single Sunday. We've worked with hurting people for 40 years in this program, and we just want to be able to come alongside and offer whatever we can to offer and to equip and resource you as a church. And so I am guessing that you came into this room because you have somebody in your life, in your church, who is hurting. Is that correct? If not, you should probably leave because this is not going to be very interesting to you. But that's the, the spoiler alert for this is that this whole session is called Discipling Hurting People. All people are hurting. So it's important just to know that no matter who it is that's walking into the doors of your church or your home, they are, they're hurting at some level, struggling with something. And so we just want to be able to come alongside churches to say, hey, what can we do to equip your church, train your leaders, resource you with what you need to engage the brokenness that's all over all over your community and all within your church. And so um, I will say one more thing about Mercy, just again for context of where we're headed. We, um, we really take a very integrated approach when it comes to healing and freedom. Um, we have seen the church, by and large, swing to two different extremes. I'm not going to say all churches. I'm sure none of yours. But um, a lot of churches have swung to the, it's just all Jesus and pray all of your issues away. Uh, or... You just need to go get counseling and come back to us when you're fixed up a little better, you know. And so there has been a, there are very few churches that we know of that we've interacted with who have taken an integrated approach of saying, look, we believe, like, y'all, psychology is just telling us how God made our mind to work. And so I feel like, in historically, the church has been a little bit scared of psychology or like, eh, that's not, mm -mm, we don't go there. It's just Jesus and Jesus and pray and Jesus. And it's almost as if, like, psychology is not really valid or we don't want to look at that and we feel like psychology is vitally important for us to understand the way that our brain functions the ways that we develop emotionally what trauma does to us emotionally spiritually so we bring that along with jesus and the holy spirit and we bring those things together in our programs and in all of our trainings and so what you're going to hear us say a lot um in our sessions and, and today is, is going to be both. You're going to hear both because we think both are really, really important. We think that Christian counseling and Christian discipleship are supposed to be friends. <laughs> like they're supposed to be friends. They're both necessary and important for people on a healing journey and on a freedom journey. And so um, that is just a little bit of background on us. Does that make some ounce of sense? Okay, great. 
I'm going to pass it to you because they need to know who you are before yeah. we jump into all of this. Uh, yeah, my, my name is Marshall Gallagher. I'm the church strategy advisor. That's my role. Um, I'm a local pastor here in Nashville uh, full time and help with mercy with things like this. And then really uh, kind of stepped into a role a couple years ago, right in the middle of COVID. Uh, that was really thinking, how do we get this material, what's helped for years and years and years, that really Melanie kind of launched as this outreach department, how do we get it to churches? Because sometimes there's kind of a language barrier, especially with weird pastors like myself. And when we hear resources, even when I walk out there and see the booths, I'm just like, oh gosh, what? <laughs> this could, you know, discipleship in every word and healing in every word, things like that. And so, uh, what we do is think, hey, how does this work broadly for the church? And pastors think in very corporate kind of uh, large kind of categories. And so how do, how, do we, how do we bridge that gap? How do we really get this into the heartbeat of the church so it can uh, make as much impact as possible? So mm-hmm. uh, that's really what I do. Um, it's probably the one place that like pe- they place that people that ask for my opinion, they're like, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. Cause that's not typically what a pastor's role is. It's like, well, tell me your advice pastor and I'm going to follow it. Yeah. 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 We actually uh, listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll actually are like, huh? Okay. Maybe we'll uh, do I will something. say recently yeah. we were talking to Marshall about like, we should, we are thinking about kind of putting together a pastoral advisory committee and he goes, Oh no. And I was like, what? He goes, don't use the word committee. And I was like, okay. He goes, committees are what make our lives hell. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, you pastors don't like committees. Yeah, little things like yeah, that. Don't, I can help, so yeah, he I helps us. Help he helps us with this. So anyway, um, all this to say, um, we really do consider um, our program a discipleship program. That's why we felt like this was a good fit. Um, to be part of this. And I actually worked at Bobby Harrington's church for many years before um, I had Linda. I worked with Linda back in the corner. Um, I worked at his church for about six years um, in youth ministry. And I will tell you guys, I got into youth ministry right out of college just thinking like, I loved youth camp, so I should probably be a youth pastor, right? Like that's the obvious next step, right? As if youth ministry was just youth camp year round. Uh, and I know I have at least one youth pastor in the room. That is not the case. It is not just youth ministry year round. Found myself in over my head a lot. The things, the issues that the girls were facing, the families were dealing with, I was just like, oh no. Like I'm supposed to help these people. I have no idea what to do. Uh, so me and the Holy Spirit, we got super tight during those years because I was constantly just like, I, I'm at a loss and I need your help. But Coming to Mercy, I really started to learn some things that I realized would have been massively helpful for me um, in ministry, specifically within ministry in the church. And so it was one of the sessions that we um, we do a workshop called Empower. You're going to hear us probably talk about it a lot because that's where all of the content that we're sharing with you comes from. It comes from our Empower workshop that we do. And this first session that we do is probably one of the ones that I, I look at and I go, if I had known that... That would have changed everything for me. And so um, we're going to dive right in and talk about just this first session. We we feel like it's so important for us to all understand our lane. Like, what is our lane when we're helping someone who is struggling, helping someone who's learning, discipling someone who's struggling? And, and how do I stay in that lane and just ride it really well and not try to go into lanes that don't belong to me? And one of the things that we'll kind of 
start this teaching off with is just talking about some qualities of healthy disciple makers because we will say this over and over and over it starts with you like it has to start with you and it, that first blank is actually probably the biggest one is that healthy disciple makers seek to walk in freedom i know that probably sounds like a oh man <laughs> this is very obvious stuff so far right but like if you really think about this you give away what you carry and I don't know, I mean, even just in the little bit that I got to hear of this first session, it just was reminding me of like, yes, our world is a hot mess right now. Like we, we're a mess. Not to say that at any point in history, we were doing great, right? Like, it's not like to say that, well, in the 60s, we were just really killing it, you know? But it's like, when you look at this and you look at this side of the pandemic, like, like we're a mess, okay? And I feel like more than ever, do followers of Jesus have to carry healing and freedom enough not not fully right like we know that until we are with jesus in glory land we will not be fully healed and fully free but we need to carry it enough to where we can kind of tend to the bleeding out that is happening all around us and so it starts with you and your own heart and your own journey and just being someone who carries freedom and carries wholeness yourself because until you carry it you will never be able to give it away to someone else um, the next one is that healthy disciple makers operate from a noble motivation. This is one that, again, you would read that and go, well, duh, like, of course I operate from a noble motivation. Of course I have a good heart in my helping other people. Here's what I think can often happen to people, especially people in ministry. I will be the first to raise my hand to say, the more that I was working with young women at our church, on Sunday mornings, parents would come up to me and they would just say, I don't, I don't know what my family would do if you were not in our lives and if you weren't in our daughter's lives. And I was like, I don't either. <laughs> You're welcome. I am so glad I am in your life as well. You know, and it started, of course, I never said that, but it started to feed a little bit of a beast inside of me of like, I, I, I almost needed ministry to be okay myself. I needed to be helping people to feel whole myself. And so if you, in your work with others and your ministry to others, feel like your own personal sense of identity and validation and worth is coming from ministry, that's probably a good time to go like, I should probably take a step back for just a second. It doesn't mean you have to like go on leave for the next 10 years, but it may mean there need to be some boundaries that say, hey, my motivation is becoming like about me here. And when it gets about you, like things get real weird real fast. And so just knowing where your motivation is and where your heart is in the midst of that. Um, the next one is that healthy disciple makers avoid judging those who come to them for help. Again, I'm sure you're all like, well, yeah, of course I would never judge people. Yes, you do. You do. You judge them. You do it all the time because it is very easy for us to sometimes disconnect from our own healing journey, our own brokenness. And especially if we are working with people who are struggling with some things that we ourselves have struggled with and we have found freedom from those things, it is very easy for us to then go to like, I figured it out, why can't you? It is very easy for us to feel like, why is this taking you so long? Why can't you figure this out? And we can start getting into that place of judgment. But then there's other place of just us staying constantly mindful of the fact that, but by the grace of God, go we. And as you're working with people who are struggling and hurting, I think it's so important to remember that were you in their shoes, had you lived the life they lived, 
you would very likely be dealing with the same things, if not worse, right? And so just keeping that in mind of going like, look, had one thing been different in my life, had I been raised by a different set of parents, had something else been different, I could be in the exact same place as you. And when you can kind of always get yourself in that place, it will help really release that place. Y'all, people people know if there's judgment in your heart towards them. They've got a radar for it, right? So it's an important place to keep our hearts. So the last, or no, sorry, we had two more. The next one is that healthy disciple, disciple makers focus on people, not on projects. So this is truly about focusing on who they are and not just fixing their issues. I think for me, the, the hardest thing, I'm very good at coming up with a 10-step process to fix your life. And I'm like, if you come at me with a problem, I will have a plan for you within 10 minutes on how you're going to fix all of these things, right? And so I just think if that can be, that's part of my personality in general. But if we do not spend that time. I love that so much of what we talk about at this conference is about relational disciple making. It is being in deep relationship with people so that they do not become a project or another person for you to be able to say, I got another one. I helped another one. I fixed another one. I helped, you know, solve all of their issues for them to remain people and not projects. And then the last one is that healthy disciple makers inject hope. They focus on the future and not the past. So as people are on a healing journey, on a freedom journey, they have to know why it's worth it. And when you, if any of you in this room, which I'm just going to bet that with this many people in here, some of you have walked your own healing journey, have walked your own uh, journey to freedom. And when you're in the midst of it and it gets hard, you need someone to come alongside you and ask, why is this worth it? Like what is on the other side? And you don't tell them. You get them to think through that and ask those questions for themselves. And, and to really help people to become like their biggest cheerleader. Because here's what can happen. If someone is struggling with something and, and they're walking that process of breaking free, which you're going to hear us say this a lot, is a process, 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 process. When they are in that process, they need someone to be able to come in and say, do you see how far you have come? Like, I know you feel like you aren't getting anywhere in this, but did you remember that six weeks ago, you couldn't even turn on the TV without going to a bad place, and, and now today we've come to this point. Like, for them to be able to see the progress that they've made, because they will probably not see it when they're in the midst of the journey. They need someone outside to point that out, to cheerlead for them, and to help them continue to see what's on the other side of it. They have to see where they're headed for them to continue on that process. Um, so there you go. Those are the qualities that we would kind of want to unpack. We have to start this by thinking about ourselves, our hearts, our motivations, how we're approaching others. And so that's kind of why we start there. But Marshall, do you want to go into what you are not? Because it's just. Yeah, absolutely. And again, these, these are things that probably everyone here we know, but you know, it's just being consistently reminded of them. So that, that first blank, uh, one of the most important things to remember is that your role is to be a shepherd, not a savior. We have a savior. He is not you or me, right? We, we would never say we want to be Jesus, but oh, it feels so good when somebody just really needs you or comes to you for every single answer to every single question you start thinking, you know what? I have really changed their life. And, and, and it just starts to erode. And, and so if you haven't processed that, if you haven't really thought 
do I want to be this person's savior? It sounds silly saying it out loud, but it's coming for you when you start discipling, helping people, and, and it will surprise you. And so it, so think through that, it, and the one thing you are not, you are a shepherd. You're guiding them to the Savior. Um, you are not trying to be, you know, even Holy Spirit Junior. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it'll, it will save so much heartache and frustration with yourself, with them, with those kind of around you. Um, that second one, the weight of change is on the person you're discipling, not on you. Do not let others hand you their responsibilities. Uh, we'll get into this uh, a couple sessions, uh, to, or I guess, what, the last session tomorrow? On safeguarding. On safeguarding and boundaries and really how to walk that out. That's my favorite part, and even when I am part of teaching it, it's kind of I leave and I'm like, okay, I need to remember that because I'm going back into where I'm going to use that most. But, uh, but for now, the weight of change is on the person, and so don't let others hand you their responsibilities. Uh, the person you're discipling, the person you're trying to help see walk in more freedom or healing, uh, it, it really is on them to, to do the work, to do the stuff, and we're there to support. But they have to decide for themselves if they're ready to make the change, if they're ready to, to engage in that process. And so, so don't take that again as part of what you ought to be doing. Is uh, There's this great metaphor of uh, ministry, and you're standing on a bridge, and you're holding ropes. And, and so you can hold the rope and kind of a, a minister discipler's job is to hold that rope while the person climbs up because they got to learn how to do it. Uh, but if you start hoisting people up on that rope, you get burned out really quickly. And so that, again, the, the weight of change is on them. Um, I will tell you, like, when I think about my years in youth ministry, like that alone would have set me free from so much. If someone had come to me and said, you do realize that the spiritual health of the people that you serve is not on your shoulders. Like it's not, you, you are responsible to do your part and they are responsible to do their part and God's gonna do his part. And so much of what we'll kind of unpack together is just what that actually means and how that flushes out and how to, how to play your part well. Like the, the thought of me being able to like put my head on the pillow at night and be like, I did my part. And I'm going to have to trust that God will do his part and they're going to have to do theirs. Like the peace that that would have given me in ministry would have been so huge. Rather if I had than just, thinking up all the like, strategies it's on and me. Like, well, let's be honest. I also had parents who told me basically like fix my kid. Yeah. So I'm like 25 years old and I'm like, okay, clearly I'm supposed to fix these kids. You know, I'm like, no, that actually was never the role that God called me to fill or any of us in this room. And so Let's transition here a little bit. This is like one of my very favorite things we talk about. Let's talk about, this is your next page, the difference between, and there is a big difference between willingness and readiness. I am totally convinced that most people in the world do not want to hurt. Like they don't want to feel pain. Are they, are they ready to do the work that's going to get them to that place? I don't know. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants change. Everybody wants healing, wants freedom. But the process and what's going to be required of them, it, they're not all ready for it. And that is okay. And so one of the things that we unpack is this seven people that you can't help yet. I added yet because I just couldn't handle it. 
But it just, <laughs> I was like, just can we just maybe, possibly, at some point, yeah. So um, added that in there. Let's talk about these really quickly. The first one is those who refuse to accept they have a problem. I know that sounds elementary, but y'all, if they don't think they have a problem, it's not a problem. And you cannot convince them. And it is not your job to convince them. So if they have not gotten to that place of recognizing and feeling the discomfort of their struggles and their pain and their issues, you have to let the Lord continue to work on them until they're ready to get to that point. Because you trying to convince someone that they have a problem is going to wear you out and is probably never going to actually help them. The next one is similar. Those who think you are the problem. I don't have a problem. I have a problem with you who has a problem with my problem that is not a problem. Okay, so these are the people who are like, the only thing that is bothering me in my life is you. Because you keep bringing up things that I don't think are a problem, right? And so no matter how good your arguments are, you're not going to be the one to convince them. The Lord has got to do something on their hearts that shifts them into that place of going, this is not, I'm ready for change. I'm ready for something to change in my life. And so we have to leave space for the Lord to do that work. We have to leave space for the Lord to make them uncomfortable. That is vitally important because until they get to that point, you are not going to be able to do much for them. The next one is those who constantly justify wrong decisions. We often talk about this at our workshops. This, like, our season of time in the world right now is one of high entitlement. Can I get it in? high entitlement but also high trauma and when these things come together it is a little bit of a terrifying combination because all of a sudden people's trauma or people's hurts have become their identity and they don't have any personal responsibility in those things so I am my issues I am the things that I struggle with and guess what this is just how I am And so when we can help people start to see their own authority in Christ, which we'll get into later, and their own um, true identity, that's when things shift. But until they are willing to take responsibility for their life, they're not ready. They're not ready to walk the healing journey yet. This doesn't mean, by the way, because I know some of y'all are looking at me like, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to disciple everyone in my church. That doesn't mean that they do not need to be in the word and be taught. And But when I'm talking about going into a deep, uh, relational discipleship uh, process with them that leads into healing and freedom, they have to be ready for it. They have to be ready. Um, the next one is those who refuse to accept the scriptural solution to their problem. So I'm just going to go on a, out on a limb and assume that most of us in this room are on the same page that Jesus is the source of healing and Jesus is the source of freedom. And if Jesus is how you help people, but they don't want Jesus, you should probably tell them that you're not the person for them. I'm not saying that you don't have a relationship with them anymore, but if you're like, look, this is how I believe healing and freedom is found. It's through Jesus Christ. And they're like, yeah, I don't like that guy, and I want nothing to do with that guy. You're like, okay, okay. Then this is probably not the journey that we're going to walk right now, right? This does not mean, let me tell you, there are lots of young women who come into our program at Mercy, and they come in and they're like, I hate God. Like, and you hear, your, you hear their life story and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, it makes sense, right? I hate God. 
I don't want anything to do with him. But we're, we're very clear to them on the front end. We do not trick them into coming. We are like, we are a lot of Jesus. So much Jesus. All the time, Jesus. Lots of Jesus. Okay? You come to this program, there's going to be lots of Jesus. And so they may come in going, I don't know about this guy. I'm not really sure how I feel about him, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk the road. Let's go. Yeah. If they are willing to open their hearts to that, then let's go, right? Okay, it's, it's those people who are like, I don't have any interest in doing anything related to Jesus or the Bible, then at that point, they're just not ready to go that specific route. Um, let's see. The next one is those who will not invest in themselves at a greater level than you invest in them. Marshall has already alluded to I'm this. I'm already triggered. You cannot. <laughs> I didn't mean to look at you. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you felt it. <laughs> you cannot be the one doing the heavy lifting. You cannot be the one doing all of the work. The analogy that we often use, which I haven't ever heard you do the rope one. Oh, uh, yeah. I stole well, it from somebody, though. We'll often, uh, we'll often talk about this idea of, like, does anybody live up north where there's, like, snow? Uh, Ohio. Oh, God. So much I grew up in West Texas, the desert, basically. So, um, so uh, hills, we don't have those. Snow, sometimes maybe. Um, and so, if you will, just go with me with this idea of, like, okay, let's imagine, like, a snowy hill, and somebody's on a sled, and you are dragging them up the hill. And you got on the sled, and you were just like working, and you were just just going at it, pouring everything you got into helping this person up the hill. And then you get close, you've, you're almost reached the summit, and you're like, I've almost got you where I wanted to get you. And then somebody else needs you, or something goes on with your family, and you gotta go over there and take care of it. And you let go of that sled, and what's gonna happen? They're falling right back down. Why? Because they did none of the work. They did none of it. And so when you find yourself trying to drag someone to healing, drag someone to freedom, y'all, they're not ready. If you are dragging them, they're not ready. The good thing is, is that you may be sitting there going, I am dragging someone to freedom right now, and I have their name in my head. What can also happen is that when you let that rope go, they also have the option of sticking their feet down in the snow, in theory, I've never done this, but I would, I, would, I, would, I would guess that they could stick their feet down in the snow and stop themselves and pick up the sled and walk themselves, right? And so what, what we would encourage you to consider is, am I investing more in this than they are? Y'all, I can think of countless <laughs> girls that I tried so badly because I saw it, I saw all their potential. I wanted it for them. I'm like, come on, like, please just go here with me. They weren't ready. And I was doing all the work. I was showing up to all the meetings. I was reading all the things. They may or may not show up. They would show up and they'd be like, I didn't read this week's thing. You know, I'm like, it's okay. I read it. I'll tell you about it. You know, like, I'll do all of the things for you, right? And y'all, it was exhausting. I was so exhausted and frustrated so many times in those situations. And guess what? They didn't ever get better because <laughs> they weren't doing any of the work. And so I would just encourage you to consider, am I investing more than them? And if I am, we may have some conversations that we need to have. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the discipleship.org collective. 
It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community. For disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. The last one is those who consistently return to relationships, beliefs, or behaviors that harm them. As we are working with people who are hurting and struggling, we have got to help them assess the relationships and the environments that are not healthy for them. And if they are not willing to draw strong boundaries around those things, y'all, I don't know what to tell you. I can't tell you how many times I would be helping a young woman who, when she got around this group of people, bad things happened, right? Like she knew it. And she would call... Melanie, I'm, you know, I did this and this happened. I need help. I'm going to come rescue you again and we'll get together. And it's not good to be around those people. Yeah, it's not. The next weekend, Melanie, I did. And I'm like, there was no desire. There was not enough of a desire to change that she was willing to draw boundaries around relationships and environments that were harming her and that were not healthy for her. So if there are people who are like, I'm not interested in having to leave any of this behind or draw any boundaries around these things, then they may not be ready. So again, those are just some of the kind of main things to look at. I will let you kind of hit. Oh, Did you hit what time? Oh my goodness, get to blink. Anyone in here who's wired like me is freaking out right now, like, we missed a blink. Okay. I'm so sorry. I love you people. Oh, love it. Okay, those who re- thank you. Those who refuse to invest in the time for change. I knew the next one was similar to that one. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know They're how that threw close. me off. Um, y'all, they people may get and, and here's what I saw time and time again. People were so excited about change. Like I don't like this part of my life. I wish this was different. I wish this would change. And they would get so excited about yeah, like let's meet, let's do it, let's do all the things. And then as soon as it got kind of hard or like, oh, this actually is going to take work, they're like, no. (laughs) And so they wanted a quick fix. They wanted something instantaneous. I mean, obviously, this is the world we live in, right? And so for people who are not willing to invest in the time and the process for growth and for change, they are also not ready. So again, if you're like, I am putting everything I've got into this and I don't feel like it's getting matched by you, if not exceeded by you, because this is, in fact, your life. <laughs> and if that's the case, then there's probably some boundaries that need to be set, which we have some of that laid out. I'll let you take it from Yeah, there. yeah. So uh, who's familiar with the book Boundaries? Okay. All right. Good chunk. Um, so uh, same authors. Uh, is it just Townsend who wrote The People Fuel? Yes. Okay, so so John Townsend, one of the authors in Boundaries, uh, wrote another book called People Fuel. And so I would bet that as you know, we've gone through this, especially those seven, at least some names are popping up into your head that you're maybe some of y'all even wrote down like 
Jerry or something <laughs> like, right? Like that you need to go back or at least reassess. Okay, I think this person might be in one or multiple of these numbers uh, that Melanie just covered. And so uh, this is, these are just some steps that you could take um, to, to really like, you're not abandoning them, you're not letting them go. Uh, again, if they're, they're willing but not ready, it doesn't mean you're rejecting them, it's just they're not there yet. Uh, and so this is what you, know, you can do. You can uh, communicate your care, set boundaries, uh, and, and really you know, continue to pray for them. You know it's the Lord that's going to be working in their life and their heart to, to move them along this journey. Um, but in the book, People Fuel, uh, just a couple steps, practical steps you can take if, if you're thinking, okay, what is this next kind of coffee meeting with this person that I need to readjust things with? What does that look like? Uh, so one, apologize that you haven't been helping them the way you think you should. And so, you know, don't get back and say, well, hey, so I, I went to this session and they told me I'm not doing the right thing with you. Shoot, uh, do it. Put it on me. Like this tall girl right. told me to stop doing this. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, well, uh, you know, and, and I know that that may, uh, you'll step in and you'll be like, okay, I'm apologizing to this person that I'm trying to help. And will that mess up some kind of dynamic? But I could not think of a better uh, showcase of humility and care for someone you're trying to disciple and mature that you would come to them and say, hey, you know what? I've been doing some reflecting. I need to change. Think about it. If the person they're coming to to change comes to them and says, I have done some personal reflecting and change. I mean, that could be a spark that would turn kind of there, just kind of kick them out of the rut that they may be in right now. Um, but so just, you know, you can apologize and say you you haven't been approaching it the way that maybe you need to, uh, and then explain what that shift might look like. Um, and again, like we're in a flyover breakout session at a conference. I know when I go to a conference, I have like a clock in my head that starts ticking down from when I get in, and I have about a hour of like content that I can squeeze into my brain and the rest just washes away and hopefully I'll come back to it. But, uh, you know, explain how you might want to shift the, the time together um, based in your own kind of reflection and thought uh, through even what we're talking about. Um, and then kind of explain when you meet, uh, you, you know, what you would like to see them engage to their next steps. Like what, what would you like to see in them? Give them kind of tangible Markers, not like, hey, you're not making progress, so see you later. Uh, give them something that, that you would want to see, um, even kind of like uh, thoughts on activities and, and steps that they could maybe shift, um, you know, even the, the very kind of direct conversation about, hey, I think maybe I've been pulling you uphill. Take the metaphor of, of being on the sled. Uh, and say, I think maybe in these areas, that would communicate to me that you're really kind of leaning in and taking it a lot more seriously and investing the time. Um, and then just have them, it says each time you meet, you want them to write down what they will do to make changes uh, and by when, um, and, and then tell them that you'll reach out. So if there does need to be kind of like a break or, or some kind of shift, you give them uh, really the work that they can put in to write down, here's what we're gonna do, Here's what it's going to be like. And when this happens, hey, when you're ready to take this step, you come to me and give me a call. And so hopefully, I think you'll have those four steps there yeah. um, in there. Hopefully that will help. Just give some tangible 
like, okay, I think I need to have a conversation, you know, how? And I listened to the People Fuel book. It was great. I know Melanie read it. It was awesome. Everything John Townsend writes. Yeah. Everything Henry Cloud writes. Just get it all. Buy it all right now. Just purchase every bit of it. It's gold. Um, I think what's so important to, to note, I mean, there's some people in this room that this is making, like, super uncomfortable. Like, I can't be mean to people and draw boundaries. Anyone? Great. I won't even oh, address it. There. Linda. Thank you. Yes. I think I think what's so important, um, and especially when this comes, this is really easy to talk about when you're talking about I don't know someone at your church. It's very different when you're talking about your children or your spouse. Okay. This is the ability to say, like I cannot carry what is not mine to carry. And and in our last session tomorrow, we'll be going all more into boundaries. But just the importance of knowing what is my load, what am I called to carry, and I cannot be, I am not ultimately responsible for the life of another person. Now, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, I feel a little responsible for their lives currently, more just than staying alive. But, but ultimately knowing, um, and, and, and actually remembering that Jesus did this, like Jesus drew the line, or Jesus literally told the rich young man, like, this is what it's going to take. And the rich young man was like, well, no thanks. And she said, okay. I mean, maybe there was some stuff left out, but I don't see anything that mentions Jesus going like, hey, never mind. If you just want to give part of it away, that's fine. Or just a little bit. What are you willing to give? We'll start there. No, like Jesus was like, this is it. This is what it requires. And Jesus allowed the person to go, no thanks, and walk away. Okay? I'm sure Jesus was sad, but... Jesus knew, like, it requires something from you. And so for us to remember, like, doing this is not, is not unloving. It's actually being very, very good to someone to let them take responsibility for their own life. I am seeing that we do not have a lot of time left. So I'm going to basically give you the blank. For all of you who just can't handle the blank, it's not being filled in for the next page. It's <laughs> me. Uh, the, the blank on the next page is, do you have permission? There's so much, there's so much there. Uh, you can read it. Again, if you're like me, I read every word of everything that I take. Most of you probably will not. But for those of you who will read, um, we kind of we just want to unpack and really make sure that you are considering. I know that there's probably so many different hats in this room that you all wear. Um, if you are a pastor at a church, this this whole idea of like, do I have permission is probably a little weird. I'm not even gonna go there. So <laughs> Let's just not talk about it's it. It's weird. Suffice um, it to say it's weird. Yeah. But just understanding that you, at some level, need to have permission from another person to speak into their life. Now, if someone shows up at your church and you're a pastor, I guess at some level you say they did give me that permission. I don't know. We won't get into all of the minutiae of it, but I think it's just important to realize we often talk about this idea of like spanking the neighbor's kids. Like I can't go spank the neighbor's kids. That would be considered abuse. If I spank my own kids... Like, it's not, in theory. I don't say that. But um, all that to say, like, if you, I have been given authority over my children, right? Like, they belong to me. So I have permission to discipline my children. I do not have permission to discipline the neighbor's kids, unless they give it. And so as for us to know that me trying to come in and insert myself in another person's life, that I don't have permission to do that in, at some extreme level, could be considered abuse. And so for us to just keep that in mind, there unpacks a lot on just like the importance of developing relationships and finding out if you actually do have permission, all of that. 
I really want to get to this last page before we leave because it's really, really, really a big deal for us. And it's understanding when outside help is needed because there are inevitably going to be circumstances you're going to deal with in your church. Do we have any like actual professional counselors, therapists in the room? Besides you then, sir, the rest of us are not professionals in the room, okay? And there are times that we need professional involvement, okay? There will be people, maybe some of you in this room right now want to throw something at me because you do not agree with that, and that is okay. You don't have to agree with it. It is, it is what we strongly believe. There are people who have professional experience and education and working with matters that are beyond a little bit of our expertise. And we need to know who those people are. Again, one of the most significant things I would have done if I could go back into those years is I would have done the research in my area. And y'all, if there's one thing you could take home with you, let it be this. Do the research in your area. Find some trusted professionals, trusted counselors, ones who believe in Scripture and the Word of God and Jesus. And man, if you can find one that actually integrates Holy Spirit into a counseling session, you have struck gold, and we want to know the names of those people because we don't have a long list of them. So if you can do that research and develop, oh shoot, I'm all over the map right now. Let me give you the first blank. Know fully what you can offer and remember that making a referral is not failure. It's not, I couldn't help this person. It's I actually walked alongside this person to get them to the point of them realizing they just need some additional support. That, there's no failure in that. There's no shame in that. There's nothing but celebration in that. And so understanding what your part is, and as we often have uh, in our workshops, we usually have someone here, we're doing a lot of her material right now actually, um, who has her PhD in marriage and family therapy. She runs an addiction treatment center. And so she's able to speak into all this at a different level, but she uses the language of know your scope of practice. <coughs> That's the kind of like therapy language, right? Know your scope of practice. What do you offer and what do you not offer? And be very comfortable and very confident in those things. And so release yourself. This, this just talks about releasing ourselves from being able to help everyone, but also doing what we can to play our part. And so that next one was where I was headed about the, one of the most important things you can do as you disciple people who are hurting is develop referral files. And one of the things I'm very excited about that we finally, we've been doing this training now for seven years, and we just this year finally put together a little packet that I titled, How to Find a Counselor. <laughs> and it's a process for where to start, what are some interview questions? And so for you in the room who lead, like I would literally take these, I would call up counselors in my area. I would say, can we meet? I wanna know how you work with people because I need to develop some referral files. And we will give you a list of questions that we would encourage you to ask. And you get um, their statement of practice. You research them. You develop the referral files. Because here's what's happened. Here's what would happen for me. There would be young women in our ministry. They'd be dealing with stuff. I'd be like, she needs some help. And the parents are like, okay, cool. What do we do? I'm like, I'm not sure. But there are people, I think, that exist out there, and you should find some of them. <laughs> like, I had nothing to give them. What if I had done the research, done the work, had a list of trusted counselors to say, I would highly recommend you look into these people, and y'all talk to each other. I mean, I hope most of the people in this room are counseling. If you're not, maybe that's the best thing that you take with you. Counseling is awesome. <laughs> like, it's wonderful. And so when you hear about people who are like, I have an amazing counselor, be like, 
tell me more about them. Maybe yeah. you add them to the list. Maybe you research them as well. Um, but that is probably one of the most helpful things that you can do for the people that you, uh, that you care for. Um, but then the last thing I'll say in regards to that, because it is that 2.58. I'm pushing this got, to the end, I think we got till 3.15, right? 3.15? <coughs> Time we'll go back to the previous page. No, okay. <laughs> I've literally been like, oh my word, we have to stop soon. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to breathe for a minute. If you actually, I was realizing that if you would like, I don't think that we have a link to that anywhere, but if you want our How to Find a Counselor PDF that we have created, um, Linda, or I don't know, can you just write? Just come up here after and I'll get email or something or? tear off a piece of your paper for you those of you like me you hate this idea I'm sorry tear off a piece of your paper give us your email address we will gather emails and I will email it out to you guys after this is over it's just like three or four pages of just like how to help people find counselors um here's what I would say though in this whole process when there are people within your church within the, pe the people you're in relationship with who are receiving professional help that does not mean that your job ends. This is, this is one of the things that I think, again, is, is something that Mercy is so passionate about. It's not just about go find a counselor and get your stuff worked out. I mean, Brooke, if Dr. Brooke Heels was here teaching with us right now, she would be the first to say she's amazing at what she does. No one's life is changing by spending one hour a week with her. It's an important part of the puzzle, and they need to be going to see her, right? But what happens is the community that surrounds them and supports them and encourages them and disciples them is a vital piece of the puzzle. Y'all, the young women who come into our residential program, if they do not have a strong support system around them when they come in and when they leave, it is hard. It is very, very, very hard for them. So for someone to say, go to Mercy and get fixed and then you can come back and be in our world, like, no, they need people to walk alongside them in that process. So your job when people are going to receive professional help is so important. And so really, again, like most of the sessions that we're going to be diving into tomorrow is like, well, then what does that look like? What is my job then when I know that people are, are receiving that kind of help? Um, how can I come alongside and support them well? Um, and so I would just say that, and, and this is in your uh, packet there as well, but if they refuse to do it, because there are plenty of people, y'all, I know so many people, who I'm like, hey, I feel like this, this could, you could use some professional assistance and support in this matter, and they laugh in my face. Or, I mean, y'all, we live in the South. Most of the dudes in the South are like, are you kidding me right now? I'm gonna punch you for talking to me about going to counseling, right? Like, no, like that is like such a, and I, I, I forget that counseling still has a stigma. I'm like, what? I, I think we've lived in this world for so long that I'm like, I thought counseling's like cool. Like people go to counseling because it's cool now, right? So I forget that. There are still lots of people who if you talk about getting professional help, they're like, nah, no, not doing that, right? And if that's the case, y'all, there's going to be a level that they need of help and support that you cannot offer them, and you do not need to try to then step in and be like, okay, well, if you won't go to counselor, then let me be the one. Nope, not, only, not your lane. That is not your lane. And so there, unfortunately, may have to be some boundaries that even get set in that relationship of going like, hey, I can do this. I can support you in these ways, but I cannot do a deep dive into your story and try to help solve things that are really beyond what I should be trying to help you with. Y'all, we see it happen all the time. Bless the church, okay? But, like, I cannot tell you how many young women have come into our program 
and their greatest wounding was not what happened to them, it's how the church responded to what happened to them in their life. That's where the greatest trauma happened. And usually it's by well-meaning people, people who got big old hearts, and they try to step in and do things that they are not equipped to do and should not be trying to dive into. And so we are passionate about the church understanding their role was so important, and here's what it is. And when it gets beyond that, please, please bring in professional help in those circumstances, which you're going to probably, unfortunately, do more damage than good in trying to help someone when it's beyond your expertise. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm getting mostly nods, which feels good because yeah. that's not... <laughs> I mean, last, last week I was meeting with a couple uh, just talking about marriage, and I, I told my wife, I refer to this, this metaphor all the time. I say, I feel like I'm kind of a general practitioner, and I can notice the same type of thing. It's like, you know what? You need this type of surgery. I know the surgery, I know, but I know I'm not equipped to perform it. Like that's what surgeons get trained to perform. And so that's, that's how I often think about it. Even as a pastor meeting with people, yeah. I can notice very similar things. And I've talked to counselors. They're like, yep, that's kind of what it sounds like. And it's sort of like, but, but you're not the one to go in there and do that deep, deep work. Um, but the person always comes back to, they need the same kind of general practitioner, physician type of thing. So it, it is such a freedom from the you know ministry side of things to have trusted people to refer to that just alleviates again that kind of you don't need to be a savior type type temptation that we fall into i think yeah and i would say too as you encourage people and if they do if they're willing to seek professional help one of the things that you'll find in that pdf if you want that um which we'll have a sign up i think we'll have a sign up oh it's being passed around linda genius um so if when you when you receive that, there's even a portion of that that's like, hey, once you um, once you have called up and researched a counselor, and you're like, okay, I want to try to give this one a shot, y'all. There's a lot of horrible counselors, <laughs> like, and a few of you are nodding because you've probably been to them. Um, it's it is it is a journey to find really good professional counselors. It's just it is. So, unfortunately, what we will often tell people is, look, you may go to a counselor. We encourage them to do three sessions, like go at least three times. And if after the third time you're like, this is not, like, we're not getting anywhere or I'm not connecting with this person or I don't like what's going on in this room, then just, it's okay. You're not going to hurt their feelings. If you do, even more reason why you need to leave them, okay? <laughs> like, go find another one. Like, keep going on the journey. Any of you who have ever found a really solid, great counselor would probably agree that it is worth it. It is worth the work that goes into finding them. Because man, when you find them, it's like you strike gold. And so we encourage people to stick with that process. Be willing to leave a bad one, because that's most of them. <laughs> and so just be. I mean, it, I, I hate to say that's it, just kind of the case. Um, and so be willing to go on that journey and to go in that process. And there's a part of that PDF that will walk people through that. Like, how do I know how to assess if this is going well? And what do I do if it's not? And so hopefully that'll be a helpful resource for y'all. Um, there's a couple things on that very last page that just, I mean, y'all, it's obvious stuff. I won't even unpack it. It's just like, these are some obvious times that you need to be bringing other people uh, alongside if, if someone's threatening to harm someone, child abuse, or even suspected child abuse, those types of things. But the last thing I will say in this whole idea of confidentiality and sensitivity, my guess is that if you guys are serving or working within the context of a church, your church has some sort of guidelines or protocols around this. 
If not, you should. Um, definitely have some guidelines and protocols on this. Um, but but a line that you know, you've know you maybe heard before, I know, bless those teenage girls, they use this one a lot with me, of I'm going to tell you something, but before I tell you, I have to promise not to say anything. And so never, ever, ever, ever should you ever make that promise to anyone, okay? Because you have no idea what's going to come out of their mouths. And so for you to always be able to tell people, hey, look, I don't know what you're going to tell me. I just want you to trust me enough to know that I'm going to do what I think is the right and good thing for you. I will not go tell someone else without telling you first. I won't blindside you with it. But if I feel like someone else has to know about whatever you're going to share, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'll just tell you in advance. You also might get the line of, but you are the only person... You've heard it. <laughs> You're the only person I can trust. Well, that's not good. That should probably not be the case. There's lots of great people out there that you can trust. We should go find some more, right? Like that's never a place that you want to be in. Never, ever, ever. You should never be the only person helping someone who is hurting or struggling. Not going to go well for either of you. And so making sure that you have that along. We'll talk more about team approach at some other sessions. But um, since I was like rushing through those last few pages, we have a couple, couple minutes. minutes if anybody, questions. like, does anybody have any thoughts? You can be like, I hated that if you wanted to. <laughs> or you can tell, like, I would, we would love to hear anything that you guys have to say, feedback, thoughts, questions. This would, yeah. Yeah, I would just like to say, I just greatly appreciate the work that you guys are doing because, um, like you said, trauma is so, it's everywhere, right? We see so much of it. Um, but having counseling, professional counseling and therapy that also invites the Holy Spirit, is it's just niche. Yeah. And so I just, it's like so encouraging to me because I'm like, okay, it exists. We just have, we just have to keep growing it and find it. So I just, I love the work. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. very encouraging. I will say, as you just said, y'all, it is, it is, it is so hard to find counselors who integrate Jesus and the Holy Spirit into their counseling practice. It is hard. I know that handful exist. So one of the things that, again, is in that PDF, why didn't I just print that for everybody before we came? Next time I know. But one of the things we talked about is like, look, if you can't find that, because you probably won't, um, it's find a solid counselor who is very good at what they do, and then bring alongside other things. I mean, I, this is not a keys to freedom commercial, or, yeah, commercial, like, that's one of our resources that we use. It's part of our discipleship curriculum. It's on the table right outside of our, our room here. But we take people through biblical principles of healing and freedom. Okay, so if you can go through a discipleship journey with these biblical keys and receive professional counseling at the same time, those things can be beautiful together. Um, there's an awesome organization called Freedom Prayer. Does anybody know Freedom Prayer in here? Oh, my word, it's so awesome. <laughs> and so we have a lot of churches that actually are doing freedom prayer ministry within their church and keys to freedom as a discipleship tool and those things together and going to professional counseling that can be an incredible journey for someone and so sometimes you can't find it all in a one-stop shop with an awesome counselor and so you have to bring other pieces into it uh so i saw it yeah yeah i just think it's important to mention that a lot of counselors are bound in what they yeah. can share including christian counselors right. so actually you want to advise someone to go ahead and give that counselor freedom right off the bat. Like, yeah, hey, Tennessee's, you know, Tennessee's like that. I'm yeah. Christian. I would love to yes. counsel me from a biblical worldview. I'm giving you freedom to talk about this biblically 
and psychological. Yes, yes. Because that will sometimes still be like, Thank you. That's all I needed. Yes. Well, and what's great is from the like when you're building this referral network, you can have those conversations with the counselor on the front end because Tennessee, you're not by the state, you're not allowed to it like initiate that kind of thing. Um, and I know a lot of counselors personally uh, that I know that's where their personal kind of professional worldview is from. So you know when that permission's given, they can kind of open up a lot more. Uh, but just because it says Christian counselor does not necessarily mean their professional practice will come with that kind of stuff. So those are some great things yeah. to ask on the front end. Which I think that that is in our interview questions. I'm pretty sure. But I want to make sure because I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up of just being able to say, hey, like, if you do Jesus, I would like some of that, please. Like, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm yep. down with him. So, yeah. Yes. Room for probably yeah, one of the things that we do, because um, I help build our referral network, so yeah. we've got 96 practices, 260 counselors in our network. Wow. And, uh, yeah, Just go to you then. Yeah. Can you they know, get your email address? Yeah, yeah. But one, one of the things we do when we vet the process, we say, hey, we believe as a church that Jesus is the ultimate healer. So in your faith integration piece, how does that look for you? Like, what kind of ways when a couple from our church comes to you, let us know, let you know they're from our church, like, how would you integrate faith when they want that to be an important piece? Great. Um, and then we'll sit in their office for an hour just talking mm -hmm. about their faith integration. One of the things we found that's helpful is we partner with the AACC that's on yeah. there, and we bring in AACC uh, staff, their uh, director of mental health and ministry, out to do faith integration workshops, as well as uh, continuing education credits for our counselors, just as a gift to add value to them to say, hey, is, this adds value to the profession and also adds value to us, because mm -hmm. as we help train you more how to integrate faith into your yeah. counseling practice, yeah. it just yeah. works better for those that are I'm going to need your information. So. Yeah. We're going to need to talk more because we are really trying to help help give pastors a very real process that they can follow for establishing yeah. a referral network. So I'm going to need more information from you. Yeah, but um, I, I did want to point out, I don't want to forget, um, if this is the last time that you see us, if you come back, please, that would be great. If, but if not, I do want you to know at the very bottom, everything that we're going to be teaching this week is content like I shared from our Empower workshop that we do um, a couple of times a year here in Nashville. And so if you come to our breakout sessions, you'll get the whole thing. Uh, but if you come and you're like, oh, I want people on my team to hear this. I need more people to, you know, that I know to, to, to get this content. Hey. <laughs> um, there is information. We actually are going to be doing our next workshop in November at Clearview Baptist Church in uh, Franklin here. Um, but if that promo code that's on the, or no, sorry, not promo code. I'm so old. QR code. QR code. <laughs> like the URL. QR code with a promo code. There is also a promo code. With this the URL code. This, you, this code, <laughs> when you go to it, it will take you to the workshop page. And if you use that forum 2022 code, from now until midnight tomorrow night, you can get as many $50 registrations as you want. It's usually $175 to come to our workshop, but yeah. if you want to come or if you want to send people from your team, just know that that um, is available to you. Meanwhile, we will let you free. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Make sure you hit subscribe because I've got another episode from Mercy Multiplied coming up next. 
And as a reminder, the next National Disciple Making Forum is coming up right around the corner, April 26th and 27th up in Indianapolis. Go to discipleship.org and buy those tickets. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.